Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to a brand new episode of Good Game, Nice Try. I'm your co-host, Aaron Blair, who's losing his voice. And here with a fully charged voice is Sonia Reed. (laughs) What happened? What's going on? I've been yelling a lot. I'm Uh, going to tell you why. You want to know why? Oh, gosh. Because Mortal Kombat. No? Yeah, I I learned that mistake. Okay, hard hard lessons. Uh, Yeah, what's going on? Now, look, I like to think of myself (laughs) as a man who doesn't keep grudges. You know, oh. I like to think of myself as an, an open-hearted individual hmm. who welcomes uh, ideas and games into his heart. And no matter how much they hurt me, I, no, of course not. I hold a grudge. I am a complete <laughs> asshole. Things are dead to me all the time. But I'm, I've had a change of heart this past week. Oh, that's encouraging. Rarely do I give games a second chance. Do you give games a second chance? Uh... That's a no, no right? That, I, that noise is a no. I that need to move on. No. I need to move on. Yeah. You know? Life's too short, man. I got, I got bigger got, and better things. Thank you. Me too. I got planes I backed you. up on the runway, man. You know, if, if a game, I hate to say it, but if a game, if it doesn't hook me, I trash it. I, I move on. It's fair. But what, okay. What brought you back to this? As you know, I do my live stream cooking show, Dinner in a Video Game every week. And it's hard to come up with puns. Okay. You're good at it though. Not every week can be Shadow of the Colossus, Shadow of the Goulashes. Okay. Uh. Not every week can be that good. This past Saturday, I was I was flailing. I was flailing. And somebody said, you know what a good game is? No Man's Sky. And I was like, I've played mm. No Man's Sky. I've done it. I did it. I did, you know. But I was like, I was flailing. I'm at the grocery store. Times are ticking. I'm like, okay, no man's sky, no pans pie. I'll make a skillet pizza. <laughs> But I was skeptical because I played No Man's Sky. Did you play it when it first came out? I played a little bit of it. And I do remember the one video that was kind of going around at that time that was like a very solid description of expectation versus reality. Right. That's right. Um, And that stuck with me. But I wasn't I wasn't blown away. It was pretty hyped up. Wasn't blown away. I I had the great fortune to, before it, it came out, go to a loft downtown and Sean Murray himself took me through the game. Hmm. It was great. Nicest dude in the world. Wow. His whole team, a delight. It was such a pleasure. And apparently I missed Spielberg. Apparently Spielberg was there right before me and I missed him. I, oh. I probably walked by him in the hallway, didn't realize it was Speaks. I mean, Speaks didn't say hi to me. And so, you know, I was kind I of I think offended. it's because you called him Speaks. That oh, that's what, the first. That's what we call him. Hey, Speaks. Right. Great job on Warhorse, Speaks. Great job. So, um, but anyway, and played the game. Like many people, very into the idea. The game itself kind of fell short. Mm. I played No Man's Sky again on Saturday. And I have to say, everyone needs to play this game. It is, wow. a, it is a completely different game. 
and I am I I am a person who holds grudges. I trash games. I move on. I almost wish they had like name renamed the game and released it. It's totally different. It's so fun. It lives up to the promise, the initial promise. It's what that we wanted No Man's Sky to be. That's that's huge, huge praise coming from you, for sure. Yeah, especially if you think about the fact I went into Saturday about to tee off on No Man's Sky. I went in thinking, oh man, I'm just going to tee off on this game. And, and it, it was so fun. And I've been playing it since. It's really, really great. Wow. I, I can't tell you guys. Jen... You too. You guys, it's so great. It really is fun. Oh my gosh. So it's a, they completely, they've worked very hard at changing it and it's, it's great. I really enjoyed it a lot. And that's why I've lost my voice. I've been screaming with delight at playing Stop. No Man's Sky. It's really fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. That It's that good. It's that, it's changed that much and you're that excited by it. And I think it's interesting because it's like, it's a I I so I was playing it. And I was thinking to myself, if I had not been disappointed by this game, what would I think about this game in a vacuum? Mm. And it's fun, but it's almost like, and this is gonna sound weird, better that it sucked initially. Oh, because now the bar is so low. Wait, it, it like it did a magic trick. It flipped where the bar was so high. Now I think you're gonna play it and you're gonna be like, oh my god, because the bar is so low. Okay, that's I mean. Interesting perspective, but I, I want to I want to figure out when you're playing this game and you're in it and you're excited to be have this revitalized love for it and you're screaming in in joy and excitement. What the hell are you screaming? I'll tell you one thing that I screamed at a lot. <laughs> it put me on because it's all so the deal. If you've never heard of No Man's Sky, first of all, it's great. The idea of it which now I feel like it lives up to is all the worlds are procedurally generated. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, you're, it's ambitious. You're, it's ambitious and it's, it's really cool. And, and I think speaks volumes of, uh, of, for what we will see in the future for games. You know, the, the golden ring, we were talking to Ken Levine, who, who created Bioshock, you know, one of the golden rings, the brass rings that games are reaching for now is a, a narrative experience that you can replay Mm -hmm. over and over and over and have a new narrative experience. And that procedurally generated worlds are, are going to be part of that. That is a necessary part. A procedurally generated environment to tell a new story every time is going to be. So I really think No Man's Sky is, 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 is genius. Sean Murray's mm -hmm. team, genius. But also like it lives up to the promise. So you are discovering new worlds that are no one's ever seen before. That's really cool. Yeah, except- it put me on a frozen planet. So your boy, right off the bat, crippled spaceship, I got to like, I'm like trying to mine stuff. I'm, I'm screaming like, no, 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 no. You're like, ah, jump, 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 jump. Like desperately eking out survival. And it's okay. very exciting. And I was scream. I was standing up, screaming at my TV. <laughs> I, I lost my voice. I can't wait to show up to our next recording and I have a completely shot voice yeah. and you just, and you know, no man's voice. No so man's voice. No okay. person's voice really is what okay. they should rename it. There no, we go. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, anyway, no man's sky, please check it out. It's really great. And, uh, look, I, I, I love, I, I will say I'm a man that holds a grudge, but I love a redemption arc. And oh. I think it's important for all of us to open our hearts to the thoughts, the feelings, and, and really the emotions of others. And that's why I'm excited 
about our guest today. Could not have thought of a more beautiful and seamless segue. Our guest today, I have been so excited to talk to. I am a huge fan personally, and I I love listening to his podcasts. I feel like they always come up. The topics that he talks about, I feel like they always hit at the right time. Agreed. And that's, it's so, it's so important. Uh, And he is a lifelong gamer and a Harvard trained psychiatrist that specializes in mental health for the gaming community. He's the president and co-founder of Healthy Gamer. It's a mental wellness company and it's aimed at helping people develop a healthier relationship to gaming, technology, internet, and themselves. So here it is, our conversation with Dr. K. So excited to have you here. It's great to be here. Thank you, Sonia and Aaron. Yes. Oh my goodness. So I've been looking forward to chatting with you for a minute. Uh, I've been watching your streams. I always enjoy your conversations with people in the gaming community. I love this amazingly supportive community that you've built uh, and everything that you're doing at Healthy Gamer. You know, you have so many different aspects within that. You do group coaching, personal coaching. uh, You have second chance grants. You're funding research for mental health. There's so many amazing things within this. And I would love to talk about all of that. I would love to start with how how did Healthy Gamer come to be? How was it born? Yeah, so that's a great question. So I, I think, um, you know, Healthy Gamer started when, I guess, when I was struggling and failing out of college, honestly. Mm. And so I was playing too many video games, uh, failing out of college and really didn't understand what was going on. And so what I really found a lot, or what I couldn't find is any kind of support. So how do I develop a healthy relationship with video games? And so that sort of started my personal journey. And then 15 years later, started streaming on Twitch. And that's where the healthy gamer that people are sort of familiar with um, kind of started. And, and our goal was just to help people develop healthy relationships with gaming and technology. I love that. And, you know, take a, at, at the very beginning, what was what were some of the first struggles you had kind of approaching what you've done today in terms of like, where, like, what was the first, when you started delving into kind of talking about people's uh, uh, relationships with games, you know, what was something that surprised you right away? The first thing that surprised me was how little the world of psychiatry understood gaming. Wow. Mm. So I I was training to become a psychiatrist. I was in my second year of residency and I'd been at like kind of helping gamers informally. And so I went to some of my, you know, teachers, like mentors. And these are people who are like, you know, professors of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. And and I would ask them, like, what do y'all think about video game addiction and and games and stuff like that? And and one of my brilliant psychoanalytic supervisors was like, yeah, the reason people get addicted to video games is the same reason they get tattoos. And then I was really (laughs) taken aback by that answer. And that's when it sort of hit me that like everyone who's advancing the field of mental health is like over the age of 55. Right. Right. And so I was just stunned by, you know, how rapidly games are evolving, how rapidly technology is evolving and how divorced from all of this technological advancement, sort of the brightest minds in psychiatry are. And that just really blew me away. Yeah. Very, very, very surprising, but also not unsurprising. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Looking back on it. Right. So, so when you kind of look back on it, it's kind of obvious. Yeah. Um, But, you know, I, I think it was one of the things that kind of like most things that are obvious in hindsight, they're surprising when you first see them. That's true. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, for sure. And we, you know, we touched on it at the top, uh, all of the, all of the good things that you're doing at Healthy Gamer to break down a lot of barriers uh, to for people to have conversations about mental health. Um, your second chance grant, uh, the financial aspect of it. There's so many amazing pieces within Healthy Gamer. Can you tell us a little bit about those those different pieces and what currently is exciting you the most that you're working on right now? Sure. So I, I think the first thing is, you know, Sonia, you're right. We're doing a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so the first thing is like, our primary question is what do, what do gamers need? And, and that's really where we kind of start. And so this is why we have a research division, because I don't know that the NIH is funding research or is very interested, especially with COVID and everything. I don't know that they're interested in what effects playing video games has on your social life or your social skills or your ability to detect your internal state of emotion. So that's what kind of what we're working on there. And so basically what we sort of discovered is like, what does the community need? And that's what we'll try to, you know, offer our expertise in. Some of the stuff that I'm excited about uh, right now is I think that as we've grown accustomed to technology, we've actually like lost sight of some skills. So things like communications, relationship, um, other things are like, we're not really sure how technology is affecting our motivational circuitry. So we're working on something that's all about, so if I have an idea, how do I put that idea into action? Because this is something that games do for us. And the more that they sort of think about, okay, like here are the quest markers, here's where I start, here's where I end, here's where my target is. You know, you have some open, you know, really like sandbox kind of games like Minecraft and stuff like that. But what I've noticed is actually in the gaming population, they're really, really good at closed-ended problem solving. So like if you give them a task and I, I did this, I was taking a class actually at Harvard Business School and went to my gaming buddies and I had a, like a like a scenario from the class and I gave it to them and they like came up with awesome answers, which I shared with the professor the next day. These are people who have no idea about, you know, the practice of medicine or how to run a medical clinic. But so gamers are actually really, really smart. Um, the DOD has actually done studies that show that they're actually like... Uh, people who play video games have an IQ that's 20% greater than the average population in terms of problem solving. So it's kind of wild. There we go. So we're, we're actually trying to work on things to help them sort of leverage that towards improving their lives in terms of like actions and behaviors. Yeah. I, you know, it's really funny you say that because we always talk about on this podcast, we kind of focus on in many ways games you know, being like a new art form and how uh, and narratively it satisfies our emotions and feeds into that stuff. But, you know, one thing I, I realized very early on in the pandemic was I had very little trouble adapting to lockdown when everything was kind of going crazy. And even when we thought kind of COVID was on surfaces and this stuff, I was like on it, man. And that was very much what you're saying. Here's the problem. I, here is now the boss. Here's what's going to poison me in a video game. And now I, I literally, without even thinking, adapted that to my real life, you know? And um, I, I think that it gave me a lot. It, video games have given me not just great problem solving. I mean, I could pack a car like nobody's business because of Tetris, right? Spatial <laughs> logistics, incredible. But also like just in terms of being flexible um, in, in, in my behavior, I think I could directly attribute that to gaming. And and I think one thing seeing my uh nephew who's really into games now and how it how he kind of deals with games is it it really I see it teaching him something it taught me early on which is failure is okay and necessary to success. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that that's the tricky thing about games is that they'll teach you things like failure is okay and necessary to success, right? So especially depending on what games you're playing that cause you to throw your controller across unless the room. It's, right, unless it's Elden Ring, in which case yeah. it is failure is the end of it and there's no success for me. It's just <laughs> I think the challenge is that a lot of gamers, you know, so the tricky thing about games is that, you know, even though the game is sort of hard and failure is a part of it, all games are fundamentally designed for you to succeed in the end. You know, Elden Ring may be an exception. <laughs> right, right. But right, they want you to, at least the newer games, complete the story instead of just being like a big F you. And, exactly. Uh, yeah. And I, I think the real challenge that sometimes gamers run into is that life, unfortunately, is not structured mm. precisely the same way. That's true. Right? True. Where dealing with a, like, you know, when you when you have a failure in a video game, you just respawn and you just go at it again. Sure. But as as some people are sort of discovering, unfortunately, getting rejected over and over and over again on Tinder does not actually have, you don't reset to zero. Yeah, that's my favorite. That's my favorite punishing game. People think Dark Souls is bad. Try playing Tinder <laughs> yeah. for 10 minutes. It's way worse. Equally as punishing, yeah. maybe. <laughs> yeah, right. It's punishing for a lot of reasons. Yeah, I think you know, we've talked about it before. There, there's so many positives that can come out of gaming and so many uh, just tools that you can take into real life. Um, at the same time, I think that a lot of gaming companies will use, you know, psychological tactics, ga- gambling tactics, yes, yes. and a lot of different points to pull you in. Um, so between translating gaming skills into real life and also being very cognizant of those tactics that are making you maybe tip on the side of addiction, how can we be more aware of our relationships with games and um, have a healthy relationship with them? That's a fantastic question. So I I think that the interesting thing is if we look at the evolution of games, game designers, I think, I don't know that necessarily they were trying to addict anyone, but they want to make games better, right? So if you look at RPGs and then someone was like, oh, like what if I made a massively multiplayer online RPG? Wouldn't it be cool to have a persistent universe that continues even when people log off? And so if we look at the evolution of games, what's essentially happening is games are starting to scratch different psychological drives in a way that they never have before. So if you play like the original Legend of Zelda on NES, it's it's purely a single player game. There's no, you know, procedurally generated content. You play it once, it's exactly the same however many times you play it. There are no DLCs, no patches, no community, no friends list. And over time, we've sort of started to add more and more things. So we've added completionistic aspects, we've added community aspects which can absolutely be a double-edged sword. So on the one hand, it's awesome because during the pandemic, you know, like a lot of people had an online community. I know I had an online community and it really didn't, lockdown didn't bother me because I would just hang out with my online friends. Mm -hmm. And my wife struggled because she didn't have them. The flip side is that since we have community online, it's far too easy to slip down the slope of like losing your in-person community and sort of becoming dependent on online communities. And so I think the the trickiest thing is that, uh, oddly enough, the more immersive games become, the more games there are to play. Like, you know, the, now there are games that you can't beat. The game never ends. You can right. play it for years and years and years. Right. You know, so it's interesting. But I, I'd say the first most important thing is to recognize what the game is doing to you. So to be aware of, okay, why am I playing this game now? Like, how often do I play it? You know, what is it actually doing to me? It's great that I have these friends online, but am I losing my friends, you know, in real life? I think awareness is actually the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So I, I would, that's a, a big part of, of who we are at Healthy Gamer. I spent several years studying to become a monk. And I think in terms of my own personal journey of like overcoming addiction, what I really found is that it doesn't have to be abstinence only, like, you know, alcohol and, and some of these other uh, substances, but you just really have to understand what the game is doing to you. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a great point. And, and I think it is kind of insidious because I think most people would be pretty aware of their boundaries when it comes to in-person interaction, be it partying, uh, dinners with friends, whatever it is. People are like, oh, I've been partying too hard lately. But I think very few people kind of realize that's true with gaming too. Like I stayed up all night playing a game. Like I did that multiple times during the week. How often would you stay out partying uh, multiple times? That, you know, but people don't equate those two things when really they are, I think, very similar to your point. Yeah, and there's a really good reason for that, which is that there are real boundaries in real life, right? So like, <laughs> right, yes. if I want to play an online, like if I want to play like League of Legends or Dota, I can find a multiplayer match all it's night so long. Accessible. Bars close at some point. Mm -hmm. People yeah. go home from parties. Yeah. You run out of some, money. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So like there, there, there are literally physical limitations on like the, is, there are enforced boundaries in real life. Yeah. And this is something that, that we've seen in our work with esports professionals. So I, I've done work with like professional uh, football players and basketball players and things like that. But if you look at esports, for example, like you can't, you know, if you're an NFL player, you can't practice more than like four hours a day physically. You just can't do it. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're like a professional esports player, you can grind for like 18 hours a day if you really right. want to, right? Right. So once we start to remove some of those physical boundaries, it's so much easier to slip into unhealthy relationships with gaming. Great point. Yeah. And even, you know, on the note of esports, we've talked to a handful of different esports professionals on the podcast um, and just in general, and it is one of the most demanding uh, professions that I, I can, I can imagine. And you in particular have had experiences, as you just mentioned, you know, with evil geniuses and being involved with organizations and helping uh, being a, like a mental health coach for the players, how how is it being at a competition when the stakes are so high and so stressful? So Sonia, I kid you not, it is it is the most stressful experience of my life. I believe it. And here's the crazy thing. So you have to remember that like I'm a medical doctor. So I've delivered babies. I've tried to do chest compressions on people who are coming in after motor vehicle accidents, gunshot wounds, I pulled oh strange things out of people's butts in the <laughs> OR. I told you, you know, I was sorry about that stuff. <laughs> that, that, you know, I appreciate that. We never let it so, go. <laughs> so like, like the thing is, I, I thought I was mentally prepared. So I've, I've worked in crisis situations yeah. also with like, you know, other, you know, other professionals and things like that. Did a lot of work in finance before doing consulting in esports. So I thought I was mentally prepared. I was like, this can't, you know, this can't be more stressful than, you know, delivering a baby. Yeah. Right. But but I was just blown away by just the intensity of the entire experience, just day after day, hour after hour after hour. You know, these people are competing for 12 hours a day, 14 hours a day. Sure, they have breaks and stuff, but it's like, you know, week after week, like you start boot camping and it just goes on and it's just so intense. You're kind of at the edge of your seat every single moment. Um, and, and I've, I've never experienced anything like it. I, I think it's actually like harder than being like saving lives. Like no, no kidding, no exaggeration. My God. Wow. That's fascinating. Damn. Yeah. 
What are some areas that you think gamers struggle with the most when, or that you see the most often? So I'd say if we're looking at like neuroscience for a moment, I think one of the biggest things is dopamine, what I call exhaustion. So if we look at our motivational circuit, we have sort of this thing called the mesolimbic circuit of our brain. We have this part of our brain called the nucleus accumbens that secretes dopamine in terms of like reward. So when we do something that is rewarding, we get a little bit of hit of dopamine and we sort of reinforce that behavior. The real challenge that I see is that what games have started to do when you kind of think about, you know, one more game, one more game, let me just one more cue, you know, you can't stop on a win and you can't quit on a loss. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. So like, you know, if you win one, like, let's play another one. Right. And then we 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 can't go out on after that game. Like I can't end the night like that. Right. And yeah. so what, what tends to happen is, is w- these games are really good. And, and I think they've sort of evolved this way. There's almost like a symbiotic. It reminds me of like the theory of evolution where like our games are sort of figuring out, right? So like developers are figuring out, okay, how do I get someone to queue one more time? Mm-hmm. And so what's, what happens is our brain actually develops a tolerance to that dopaminergic spurt. And you kind of see that with some gamers because they're playing the game. But if you ask them, are you having fun? They're like, no, <laughs> right. right? You're right. starting to like rage at the end of the night, yes. but you still keep chain queuing. You're dropping MMR, like dropping ranks right and left, you know, just feeding. And then you keep playing, you keep playing, you keep playing, even though your emotions are actually like negative in terms of what you're feeling. And that's that dopamine reward circuit that despite the negative emotions, you're, you're, you're getting that dopamine hit. The real problem arises that once your brain gets used to that steady stream of dopamine, it becomes really hard to do other things. It becomes really hard to get motivational neuroscientific reinforcement from reading a book or going outside or working on your, your paper or, you know, any number of other things. You just named the three things that I have the hardest problem with right now because of my game. I was going to say, very relatable. Yeah. You really yeah. nailed me there. <laughs> you, and, you and everyone else, right? Because <laughs> right. our brains are actually pretty similar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's wild, man. Well, what's the, uh, what What can we do? How do we, if this is such a common problem between, I mean, Aaron and I and so many other gamers, like what's the, what's the solution? Yeah. So I I think the first thing to understand is that the more constant you game, the more dopaminergic tolerance you're going to build. It's almost like coffee, right? Like where it gets to a point where, you know, coffee, you need it. It doesn't actually give you any advantage. It becomes a necessity. So our brain will sort of develop some amount of tolerance. And we kind of notice that when we keep playing the game and we stop having fun. So Mm -hmm. dopamine detox is like a good thing that you can do. So this is when you sort of take a break from technology for some amount of time. So I, I, you tend to see a lot of results within two weeks. Um, We actually have like a community that uh, a discord community with about 75,000, 80,000 people on it. And so we're, we're running dopamine detoxes now where people will sort of get together. We'll have like a book club and stuff like that. And then you sort of acknowledge that the first three days you're going to be bored. That's really the problem. We don't realize that the real the real manifestation of dopamine dependence is actually a short-term boredom, boredom mm. right? It, and so boredom is your main problem where you get bored easily, bored easily, bored easily. Because that what that sort of means is that you're not getting that dopamine managerial reward, right? You're not right. getting that increased motivation. And so sometimes you have to take a break from technology and then really start to develop good, healthy boundaries around how you use it, when you use it, things like that. 
And and it's like, I think open world games do that really well also. And that's kind of the thing is, because you've got the side quests, you've got, you know, like Red Dead there's Redemption. Always there's always something. Like I was like, there's a mo- I had a moment of clarity of like, I've been picking flowers for 40 minutes. <laughs> like, and I'm like, I got to find this daffodil. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, go outside, man. Like, it's crazy. But it's true. There's always kind of something to do. As soon as I would open the game, I would be, there would be a, a whole buffet of things. If I'm not doing well in this on this quest oh here's someone else who's going to give me another easier quest or oh i could just grind on crystals or whatever it is it's like once i would get in there i would just be in there so better to just not do it at all um which is you know but it's gets crazy yeah yeah i I think that that's that's both the beauty and awfulness of games right is that there's you know you really can I, i mean i still remember some of my best memories are just gaming all night long and boy oh, yeah. did i have fun you know oh, for sure for sure and and getting lost in that world can be soothing it can be a healthy coping mechanism and it can also much like other addict addictions yeah you know, there's a difference between having a glass of wine after a hard week at work right or going to happy hour and sort of starting to become dependent on it yeah which yeah. is i think really where we draw the line a lot of times yeah and and it's interesting you know it's it's like I, you know i went through kind of a hard period a bunch of years ago and fallout 3 got me through those hard times and i would come home and just wander the wasteland i wouldn't even do anything but it was a great escape for me because when my life was out of control here was something i could feel in control with and i wasn't even playing the game i was just like oh here's a world i understand Here's a world that I feel comfortable in that's not going to ask anything of me that I don't want. Uh, and that really did kind of, I you know, and eventually um, I got out of that. But it was a really good positive tool in that way, um, you know. So it's, it's fascinating because there's actually studies on that. So people have looked at people, uh, uh, victims of trauma. Wow. And actually, there was a really interesting study where they had people pay, play Tetris. And Tetris, immediately after trauma has actually been shown to reduce things like intrusive thoughts, like bad memories, flashbacks, stuff like that. Wow. So it, it it seems like actually, because you know what happens is after a traumatic experience, those thoughts kind of push their, their way into your mind. When they push their way into your mind, you get a physiologic response. So you'll get adrenaline released, cortisol released, that messes with your metabolism, it messes with your immune system. And apparently playing Tetris can have some positive effects. I can see that for <laughs> Really sure. interesting. I can, I can see that too. It gives your brain something to do for sure. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So it occupies the mind in a non kind of stimulating sort of veg out sort of way. I guess I'm going to be downloading Tetris very. (laughs) (laughs) It's a nice focus. Yeah. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places. Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network. So whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. aware of uh, any other studies that have been done uh, on specific video games and what their benefits might be outside of Tetris? 
Uh, not really. So I, I think, unfortunately, most of the studies that are done on particular games tend to be viewed in a negative light, like people are looking mm-hmm. at addictive potential. This is actually kind of cool, not really related to therapeutics, but there's a group up in, I think, University of Toronto that's developing a personality analysis based on the kind of games you play. So they're looking at like personality aspects and trying to figure out like, okay, based on your inherent personality, what are the games that you'll gravitate towards? Are you a completionist? Are you an explorer? Are you like a community member? Um, We do know, for example, that men and women get addicted to different kinds of games in terms of, of this, so that's kind of interesting. Yeah. So, but a lot of that research is emerging and, and we're hopefully going to be participating in it. That's fascinating. S- Sonia's bloodthirsty. Anything with <laughs> gallons of blood, give it to me. Slice and that's dice. It. That's all that's I want. It. My rage. <laughs> Step into my rage cage. You've got, you've got me pinned. You've got me pinned. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, I guess, what kind of games do you naturally gravitate towards yourself? And do you, do you have, with everything going on, do you have time to play video games at this point? Generally speaking, I do not have time, but <laughs> yeah. sometimes you have to make time, ah. especially nowadays. So mm-hmm. so I, I set aside, I, I decided that I'm going to play some video games. So I missed the boat on FF14, mm. which I heard was an amazing kind of experience. So like, I, I guess I, I played a lot. And then about a decade ago, when I started med school, I kind of stopped gaming except for some occasional Dota. Um, but I, I tend to like single player RPGs. I, I like strategy games, some of the 4X stuff. So recently I, I've made time for Lost Ark and Elden Ring. Oh, there we go. I, which leads me to my next question. How are you making time for Elden Ring? <laughs> I have a rule of thumb, which is that if I have a patient cancel, I'm allowed to play video games during yeah. that rule. But wow. otherwise yeah. during the work week, I don't get to play games. <laughs> there we go. Perfect. You know? I, I definitely, I treat it as I kind of every day or every few days, I, I'll have like a block of time that I'm like, okay, this is like my entertainment block. I, in my brain, that's how I've kind of stopped myself. There's, that's my boundary. So I'm kind of like a movie is two hours or three hours. So I'll play that and be like, okay, this is like me watching a movie and that stops me from playing all night if I just kind of think of it that way. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I tend to schedule it too. Sometimes yeah, I'll even set an alarm on my phone. Oh, that's smart. And the interesting thing is people may think like, oh, if you set an alarm, don't you just turn it off and keep playing? And I found that there's a magical step you can insert in the middle there, which is just to ask yourself, mm. do I really want to keep playing? Am I really enjoying myself? And what I sometimes find is that even asking myself that question, it's kind of like, yeah, I could like automatically keep playing, but I'm not actually having a ton of fun right now. So, so like, you know, what would I rather do? Would I rather wake up tomorrow and like get a good start on the day so that I can wrap up my work? Or do I want to be tired tomorrow when I wake up and be dragging and drink an extra cup of coffee and things like that? And so I think awareness of the next day, really taking stock and like recognizing what it's doing for you. And then that helps your brain make better calculations, right? So it's, it's not like Elden Ring's going anywhere. Right. That's true. Right. You dropped it very briefly, but I would love to hear way more about how, you know, you kind of took off for a little bit, tried to become a monk, yeah. had some experiences with that. And I would love to hear, you know, your experiences with meditation and everything in that practice. I would love to know your personal experiences with that. Sure. So, uh, you know, I I basically failed my first year of college, almost <laughs> failed my second year of college, had less than a 2.0 GPA. Um, so I was a pre-med kid. Indian kid who's pre-med, whose parents are both doctors. 
So it was very kind of culturally pushed to being pre-med. So really had no idea what I was doing, what I was interested in. And I just kind of filled the void with video games. And so after two years, you know, I just knew something needed to change. And my dad actually recommended that I spend three months in an ashram, which is like a monastery in India. And so I said, okay, uh, you know, hopped on a plane. And then it was it started out to be like the hard, hardest period of my life, honestly. So like the first 10 days, two weeks there were just terrible. Like I was very alone, didn't know anyone, didn't like the food. Um, you know, it's ashram food, which means it's like, it's very like healthy and conducive to a meditative state of mind, but bland and and not very tasty. And, and so just really felt really alone, despairing. I didn't understand what was happening. Like I didn't see my life magically transform the first week I was there, which is really what I was looking for. Cause I, I just didn't right. understand the, the biggest problem that I had is a lack of awareness. Like I would wake up some days and I would go to my 8 a.m. Spanish class. And there were other days where I'd sleep through my alarm and, and wake up at noon. And, and like once I realized, oh, my God, I've missed three more days of Spanish. You know, I've missed three more classes. Like yeah. I start gaming to forget. I just yeah. didn't understand myself. I didn't understand how I worked, why I had the thoughts that I had, why I couldn't control my behaviors. And then discovered something in India that I think is completely wild, which is that we don't teach people here how they work, mm. right? So like when you play a video game, you get a tutorial with what the controls do. Right. So in real life, we don't give anyone a tutorial. Like we don't say like, this is how your emotions work. <laughs> this is how your thoughts work. This is how to set boundaries. This is how to create a habit. We teach external things. We'll teach you about history, but we don't yeah. teach about the self. Right. Dr. K, I know that the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. <laughs> Wonderful. What, what else do I need? That's all you need, right? So now that you know that the mitochondria is a powerhouse of the cell, you yourself become a powerhouse. That's it. Right? I feel it. And, and so what I really learned in India was a, was a systematic way to understand myself. Like, what are my thoughts? Where do they come from? What are my desires? Where do they come from? Where does the desire to play a video game come from? Um, you know, how to concentrate, like we'll tell people like, you know, we'll tell kids like you need to focus on school. Like I got told that my entire life by my parents, like you need to focus, but no one ever taught me how, mm -hmm. like, right. this is how you focus. This yeah. is like a guide to focus. So that's really what I loved, uh, discovered. And I fell in love with it so much, like understanding how I work. I felt like I was almost like playing a video game, like an, an exploration game, like Zelda, except it's like exploring myself. Right. And, and so what, where do my thoughts come from? Where do my desires come from? So I loved it so much that I decided to become a monk, I tried to become a monk at the end of my first summer, but my teachers wisely enough, wouldn't take me. They're <laughs> like, so they said, you need to go back to the U S. So, uh, I, I, I went to India twice a year and stayed in India for about four months over the year, but they were like, you need to finish your school because I think they realized I was running away from my problems. Mm -hmm. And they said that unless you need to also go get a doctoral degree. So the, the place that I tried to kind of take vows or whatever really valued um, like science and education. And so they were like, if you want to, you can take your vows when you're 30, but you go get a doctoral degree, go finish your school. And then if you're still interested when you're 30, you can still come back. We'll teach you more stuff but we're not going to let you take vows till you're 30 years old. And they were wise as they usually are. <laughs> as they usually That's are. Nice. Yeah. Wow. Um, and so many years later, fell in love with my wife and then got confused for a while and then decided ultimately that, you know, spirituality is not about wearing robes or being in a particular location, but is entirely an internal practice. It's about the way that you relate to yourself. Mm -hmm. And I can gain awareness while 
playing a video game or struggling to play a video game or struggling to stop playing a video game or sitting in a cave in the Himalayas. It's like ultimately the same because it's all internal work, right? So you can do it in any place. And I, and I love, I, first of all, I love that. Uh, and I love Fire, how you've, yeah. you've taken that and also opened the door for people now in your community to take steps to have that self-awareness and do the internal work to understand themselves. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's the only way it works, right? Like we have to teach people the tutorial of the self. Mm-hmm. Like that's what we do at Healthy Gamer. Is that your, your next memoir? Tutorial of the self. Oh, well, I mean, that presumes that I've written the first one, but <laughs> <laughs> the second guide, the second guide. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we have the guides. So like in that same way, what, what I, what we set out to do, we made like a guide to depression, a guide to anxiety, a guide to meditation. And that too was not necessarily to be clinical. So I, I do teach some of the clinical stuff, but you know, to understand like, where does anxiety come from in the mind? Like what is anxiety? Anxiety is actually just our ability to predict danger. It's actually an evolutionary thing. And, and, you know, it, it is kind of thinks in the future. So you can't have anxiety about the past. You have anxiety about the future. And this is all the stuff that I sort of learned in India is that all of these Western concepts, like we can actually understand how they work. Like we can look at the crafting recipe for anxiety and the crafting recipe for depression. And one of the biggest things that I think the community has responded to is that depression and anxiety is not just a clinical illness. Like anxiety is technically an emotion, right? It's not we talk about it like it's an illness, like there's generalized anxiety disorder, but everyone experiences anxiety. It's a part of the human experience. So how do we understand those basic things? Right. And the thing that we're working on now is all about action and behavior. So how does a thought become a behavior? What does that process look like? And hopefully by breaking apart, by disenchanting it, right? Understanding what its constituent components are. We can then recraft it. We can put together the pieces the way that we want to, and then build the behaviors that we want. Amazing. Yeah. So if you want to have a better understanding of self and uh, dive into a game guide for for your own internal processes, <laughs> go check out Dr. K's Guide to Mental Health. It's it, it's incredible. There's different modules like you were talking about, focused on mental health, taking control of your life, and everything in between. Uh, where where can people get the guide? Is it on your website? Uh, yeah. So I think you could just go to healthygamer.gg, and there should be a link there. Um, and then you know you guys can find us on Twitch and YouTube and stuff like that, where we we, we do more educational content. And we have a Discord server, so you're welcome to come and hang out and clean your room on Sundays with our, <laughs> our room cleaning crew I or do that. a dopamine detox or something like that that's more community-driven. Or play amazing. games. Yeah, a whole, a whole uh, a wide buffet of amazing things to do that are all uh, that all serve to make us better people. Uh, Dr. K, I, I hate to say it, we're almost out of time, but we love to end every interview with asking our guests their best and worst games. Uh, so let's start low and go high. So what is what is the game that drives you nuts? What's the game you can't stand? Oh, let me, so I, I think FPS genres in general. So like, I think especially as I've grown older, I just can't keep up and I find it personally frustrating because I can't hit things. Right. So this, <laughs> is, this is where like, you know, when I'm playing Overwatch and I'm a DPS character and I'll like ambush Mercy, who's like a healer. Uh-huh. And then the Mercy pulls out her pistol and just, you know, three <laughs> shots me. And it's kind of like, I was supposed to win that encounter. So FPS games is my boomer reflexes start to kick in as my dad reflexes start to kick in. They, they get further and further away. 
Boomer Reflexes. I love that. That's the name of my new my new uh, punk band, Boomer Reflexes. <laughs> All right, well, let's go high. What's your what's your favorite game? The game that that absolutely uh, you adore. I, I mean, honestly, right now it's like Elden Ring. Yeah. Yes. And and I I think I think Dark Souls is just a great example of. So I was reading a paper many years ago about. Games are addictive, not because of the reward, but because of the denial of the reward. And and playing the Souls series really helped me realize that my brain can't tell the difference. Like whether I get, you know, an award for academic achievement in medical school or I beat that boss after six hours of, of beating, like the brain can't tell the difference. Yeah. Right. And I think Elden Ring, especially in terms of like, you know, narrative and, and atmosphere and and it's it's one of these games that you just you just go explore and it's rewarding. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and so right now, that's I, I'm sure it's a pretty generic answer. No, but no it's, that's it's, solid. Honestly, I, I, it's it's the game that I've just enjoyed the experience of playing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it is it is incredibly immersive and a beautiful world. You know, even if it's everything wants to kill you, <laughs> except for those little jackrabbit things who I love and I befriend. Uh, well, Dr. Gay, thank you so much. This was a real treat. And and man, I, I got to say, I, I'm stopping by that Discord. I'm going to try this dopamine detox. I can't wait. Gonna, I, need <laughs> okay. I need it. I need it. I need it. All right. Well, check it out. Thank you. And thank you all very much for having me. It's been a pleasure being here. Well, thank you to Dr. K for joining us. And look, I, again, I would say I think it's important to remember that people can change. And just like No Man's Sky, games can change. (laughs) And it's important for us to keep an open mind and an open heart. I love it. And make sure to go to healthygamer.com and check out their Discord if you want to stay connected. On his website, you can check out Dr. K's Guide to Mental Health. It's kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure learning experience. He has different modules that give you approaches to anxiety, depression, meditations. It's actually, it's wonderful. If you want to check that out, there's also peer support coaching. There's a bunch of amazing things on his website. So definitely go check it out, healthygamer.com. And to celebrate Dr. K joining us today and to share a little wellness with you, we're actually going to be giving away an entire module of Dr. K's Guide to Mental Health. So if you want to head to Good Game Nice Try on Twitter, check out the pinned tweet and just quote and retweet with a game that you've played through a tough time. If there's been games that have helped you out, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, one game that absolutely saved me was Animal Crossing. (laughs) That was a very important game for me uh, through a pretty difficult time. And I would love to hear yours. So please, if you want to enter to win a entire module of Dr. K's Guide to Mental Health, go to Good Game Nice Try on Twitter, quote, retweet the pinned tweet, and share a game that has helped you through a difficult time. That's right. I'm excited to see what what games people uh, say help them through. Because you know what? I could use a few of those games right now. <laughs> yes. Yes. Check out the quote retweets and you will have an endless supply That's of amazing right. games to go exactly. through. So we're going to take a really quick break while you head to Twitter and we'll be right back. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. 
We have America's largest 5G network. So whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. All right, we're back. Now, here's the thing, guys. It's spring. Summer is upon us. And what does summer mean? Pool parties. That's right. But you know what? Pool parties give me a bit of anxiety, and I think that's because of my gaming history. Does that make sense to you guys? Yeah. Yeah. I think we all know. I think we all know. I have been battling with this for a while, and I just don't understand why water levels in so many games across time have always been the absolute worst. They suck. They suck. It's the it's worst. It's tough. What is the, what's the first one that comes to mind? The first one that scarred me was Mario, Super Mario. Uh, I, I think the thing is that what makes it hurt more is I love the music of water levels generally. Oh, yeah. So like I'm digging the music and I just die every <laughs> time. I can't. What is up? Can we get a water level that's fun to play? Well, you know, there it's few and far between. It's few and far between, but there are there are some. So wait, are you talking about the the Mario on SNES or No, I'm talking about original Oh. Yeah, original Mario. Wasn't there a water level in the original Mario? I don't remember, but one of the first ones I think of, and this is the one that actually kind of did okay was Mario 64. Mm, disagree. Terrifying. Well, scarring. <laughs> I have... <laughs> no. I have a little asterisk to add. However, I will say, okay, for me, I need to know your experience now. <laughs> However, I love how they had that cute, like, Loch Ness monster. Um, I thought the spiders were kind of cute. They had little suction cups and they were, you know, striding across the water. And I, I, I thought it was really great, but I will say... The eels were fucking <laughs> horrifying. Forget it. If anyone wants to just open up Google in another tab right now and just just Super Mario 64 eels. Hate them. Yeah, Nightmare in, inducing. In the original Mario, World 2-2 mm -hmm. was the first okay. underwater level. That was my first experience oh, God. with water levels. I just feel like, I don't know, man. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because us as humans aren't supposed to be in the water and so game devs are like, they take that, you know, like our primate brain history of being in the water and being helpless. It's not where we're supposed to be. It's we're we're helpless. I feel like we the problem is that you move even slower in water and it just amplifies all of that anxiety. And the physics are off. There's no brakes. Yes. By the way, the first time I I drove a boat, which I don't know if that's how you say it, you drove a boat. <laughs> drove I'm a moron. First time I drove a boat. I'm drives a, yeah. boats regularly. There's no there's no brakes. I know that that's stupid <laughs> to say, but there's no brakes. Mm -hmm. So it's scary. And also, I don't know. I, I just kind of think like I would love to see a water level that's a delight. That Aww, that's a break. Peaceful. That's peaceful. Yeah. It's teaching me to hate the ocean. Yeah. You know. Well, speaking of the complete opposite of peaceful, I don't mean to, you know, drudge up old traumas, but Jen, you had a, a very aggressive reaction to the Super Mario 64 level. 
My issue with water levels, specifically with Super Mario 64, to preface, I am stressed out and I hate anything that is some sort of race against the clock Ugh. or countdown. And so I just have... It, it just triggers my anxiety. And so 10-year-old Jen going into the water level to go explore the sunken ship, having that countdown where it gets to green, then yellow, <laughs> then red, and you know you're too far, and then you know you're going to die. It's the countdown for me. I can I see that. and I it's, hate a countdown. It's, it's hard when you're under pressure, and then it's even harder when the stakes is your oxygen. Yeah. And I'm, I'm someone who prepares ahead. And so if I even saw it go down one or two notches, I'm already like, got to go back up to the top. I'm not going to risk it. So I could That's never fair. beat it. And they make the sounds. Like, I, I don't know if you remember the sonic underwater mm-hmm. drowning noise. Oh, it's, God. It's traumatizing. So traumatizing. Mario gets X. Mario like chokes and drowns and then gets X's in his eyes. And yes. I'm just like, too much. Oh my gosh. It's too much. I forgot about that. I'm going to say, I'm going to say two water. Two, for me, the two worst water experiences I've had in games are one, I don't know if you guys remember Friday the 13th, the game. Mm-mm-mm. Unfortunately, there, it got all tied up in rights and stuff, but there was a golden moment where this game was awesome. And it was like one person is Jason and you're hunting down other people who are these counselors and the counselors are trying to escape the camp before Jason kills them all. Right. And you could swim in the water, but then Jason comes after you and you're completely helpless. Oh no! And the thing, it is the scariest nope. thing being in the water because <sighs> it's just, you're, you're t- completely exposed. I'm stressed thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> Very one, stressful. The other one is there's this game called Inside, which is one of my favorite games of all time. Top five games of all time. Everyone should play it. There is a whole water part of this game. And I have not been this scared since I was a child. Okay. Oh my God. And what happens is, and this is, a, I guess, a minor spoiler kind of. But what happens is like you are, you have to go through these things where you're swimming. And there is this. <laughs> Fucking creature, man. It's like another little kid, but with really long seaweedy, seaweedy hair. No. And you, yeah. And you only really see the silhouette of this thing. And uh-huh. it moves super quick and snake-like. And I swear to God, I'm playing this game. And I would pick up my feet. I would be like, <laughs> bah, 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 as I would jump out of the water. My fi- like lift my feet up into the air like a crazy person in my apartment on dry oh, land. God. I'm miles I'm hours from the ocean and I'm picking up my feet like ah, because of the way the hair was like. Absolutely yeah. not. And honestly, no that's thanks. probably what we'd find at the bottom of the ocean. Anyway. No, don't. I have say no that, idea dude. what's under there. We have no idea. I hate no that. Idea. I hate no that. idea. I hate it. I have to ask, are we lumping all snow levels in as well? Okay. That's a good question. Also lava levels, lava levels too. Spicy water. Lava is spicy water. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> um, no, I don't lump snow levels in because snow levels for me is, okay, it's a slippery platform. Mm, you okay. know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That sums it up. You're not floating. It's different. You know, like my, when I think of a what, you know what? Have you guys seen the movie Gravity with Sandra Bullock? Mm-hmm. Okay. There's a point that was in the trailer that is 
it's an it's an amazing moment because it, it distills what I think about water levels, which is there's this moment where she's trying to get back onto the, the her capsule or whatever, and she's floating and she's inches away from grabbing something, but she has nothing else. She can't push on anything because she's in space. And she could almost, you know, she's like just trying to grab the thing and she can't. That's how I feel the entire time I'm in every water level ever. I hate that. Yeah. No, I hate that. But an ice level, you you could jump. You could push off of something. Yeah, it's slip and slidey. It's It's slip and slidey. It's fun. Well, fun is a strong word, but yeah. (laughs) I think here's one thing I'll say that I'd like to see. I think, let's be honest, it's easy to make a water level hard. Yes. It's easy to make an ice level hard. Mm-hmm. What is the opposite of a water level? Desert, spicy water. Spicy water. Well, I was going to say, you know what I'd like to see? For me, a water level is hard because the physics aren't mm. are less than what yeah. you're used to. Now, what about a level where like your controller is way more sensitive? Like what's the opposite of a water level? It's too easy to move around. It's too fast and crazy. That's mm. what I want to see. Let's push ourselves, game devs. Let's push ourselves. Let's you know? push ourselves to just make a pleasant water level. Yeah. I think that's that's done. a challenge enough. Can't be done. Yes, can't be done. I agree. No, no, no. Can't be done. I don't think it's possible. If you guys out there have any water levels, help me back. Give me some water therapy. Hydrotherapy. Hydrotherapy. Is what I need. Wow. You know, if you have any water levels that are going to cure me, th- that don't exist, by the way, that are going to cure me of this. And also, I want to know what the opposite of a water level is. That would be hard. Or like a sand level, like it's like. That's what I'm saying. Like desert. Yeah, you know, we could like you're stuck in quicksand or something. Like that, the Mario mm-hmm. 64 desert level. It's one of my faves. Me I too. Why. I love it. I love the big it's spiky boys. Yes, they're so cute. Oh, and then being able to fly into the pyramids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. It's a good level. <laughs> <laughs> I want, I want that feeling from a water level. <laughs> I think that's it for this week, right? That does it for this week. That's it. If you have any good hydrotherapy to share uh, and help out Blay, tweet at us at Good Game Nice Try on Twitter. And while you're there, make sure to check out the pinned tweet because we are going to be giving away a entire, all three modules of Dr. K's guide uh, for mental health. So share, care, and <laughs> don't forget to jump in the water and see what's down there oh my wow. god you know Thank i was collecting you, my thoughts that's but that right. was that's great well we'll roll with that. you collected them and i picked them up good game nice tries produced by jen samples and nick liao our executive producers are joanna solitaroff adam Sachs, and jeff ross engineering by eduardo perez with engineering and sound design by chester guazda talent booking by paula davis gita batista and Britt khan special thanks to lisa berm music by john danik 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 This has been a Team Coco production. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at the coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at tmobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com.